All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Let's stand as we open God's Word together. Matthew chapter 11, we read about John the Baptist, titled the message, When the Going Gets Tough. And I know that all of you who were teenagers in the 80s, like me, when you hear that phrase, when the going gets tough, all of a sudden, uh, music from a fellow by the name of Billy Ocean starts coming to my mind, and that's okay for, for the kids of the 80s, but, but what happens in our spiritual journey when the going gets tough? And as we begin to look at this text, ask the Spirit of God to speak to you through His Word. It says, when Jesus had finished giving orders to His disciples, His twelve disciples, He moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent a message by his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And if anyone is not offended because of me, he is blessed. As these men went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? Look, those who wear soft clothes are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and far more than a prophet. This is the one... It is written about, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I assure you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, if you're willing to accept it, he is, speaking of John the Baptist, he is Elijah who is to come. Anyone who has ears should listen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of John the Baptist. Thank you that we were even reminded in our life group time that you have recorded stories like this in your word that we can learn from them and apply them, embracing certain principles that can change our lives. We ask you to do so through your word and through your spirit this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Sometimes we look at the things that are coming at us in life, and our response is what we hear our kids say from time to time. We say, that's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair that we would have to endure that. And, and, and I've seen some of the videos and, and heard some of the quotes and, and read some of the tweets that are referred to as third world problems. The things that we gripe and complain and whine about that drive us crazy usually aren't worth mentioning and we would be embarrassed to complain and whine and gripe about those things if we were in a third world country. And at the same time, life throws curveballs at us that still make us say, on occasion, life's not fair. Uh, we've heard the story. You've heard the story of the two boys who were 
uh, in a pasture when a bull got after them, and, and one of them started to run, and the other one said, hey, you can't outrun that bull. He said, I don't have to outrun the bull, I just have to outrun you. Uh, sometimes we feel like the slower one in that story, right? I'm the one that's going to get left behind. I'm the one that's going to take the brunt of the punishment here. And it just doesn't always seem to be fair what life is throwing at us. Anybody ever felt like the slow one? <laughs> ever felt like you're the one that's going to take the punishment, even if you've been doing the right thing? After sending out the twelve, Jesus, it says, He, he continues to minister. He went about teaching and preaching in all of their towns in that region. He encounters the disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist who would say, there's coming one greater than me whose shoelaces of his sandals I'm not worthy to even untie. John the Baptist who had been shaking things up before Jesus even went public with his ministry pointing people to the coming of Messiah, but was now, John the Baptist was being held captive. He was facing imminent death for doing the right thing. He was facing imminent death. He was experiencing persecution for preaching the truth and doing exactly what God had called him to do. How many of you understand that doing the right thing doesn't always mean we will experience favor with the world? You know that? Doing the right thing does not always mean we will experience favor with the world. Now, obviously, we're after the well done of God on our lives, not favor with the world. Last week, when we talked about servants of the king, we saw that faithfulness is more important than popularity, that there would come a day when these disciples who would become apostles would not be so popular with the world. And there is a day in time which we live today that being a part of the Bible-believing church of the living Christ does not make us popular with the world. And so John the Baptist is becoming a picture of that right here when it seemed that his ministry had been fairly popular with so many, and he had seen great results. So John, in the midst of this persecution, needed to get in touch with Jesus. He needed some reassurance in his life. He needed a word. You'll find yourself in places just like John. You'll find yourself there. Well, Pastor, I, I, I never struggle with, with doubts and fears and frustrations. I, I never question, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? Well, you, you've arrived at a place in your journey that I haven't reached yet, and I'd love to sit down and chat with you sometime. But most of us, most of us discover that there are seasons where we question, we doubt, we wonder, and we need desperately some kind of affirmation from the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. I want to give you three words that we see expressed here. Now, the second two are the words of Jesus. The first one is the word that goes out from John. But I think that these words serve as a guide for when we're going through tough times. I mean, when the going really gets tough. Not when we're experiencing first world problems. Because our cell phones wouldn't work. Or maybe we couldn't open our Bible out this morning because everybody's already jammed the Wi-Fi. Probably couldn't complain about that on a mission trip to Haiti tomorrow, could we? I'm talking about the bigger issues. See what the Spirit of God brings to mind concerning some of the major crises in your own life. But first, we see this first word coming from John, and it's a word of concern over the persecution of the world. 
it's a word of concern over the persecution that comes from the world against the servants of Christ. Jesus had warned in the previous chapter that this was going to happen. John is in prison. It says in verse 2, he hears that Jesus is out there, Messiah is doing some things, and he sends a message by his followers, those who are helping him advance the gospel and point to the coming kingdom. He asks this question, are you the one? Should we expect someone else? Some translations read, are you the one or should we be looking for somebody else? Now, keep in mind, this is John the Baptist. This is the John who has been pointing people to Jesus with great boldness. This is John who was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb when Mary walked in also pregnant with Jesus, which I believe is a great reminder, as we've just this past week celebrated sanctity of human life, this is a great reminder that life is very real and precious even in the womb. And here is John the Baptist, who when Jesus was ready to go public with his ministry, he walks on to the scene at the Jordan River, and John, being guided by the Spirit of Christ, looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a powerful statement. What a bold testimony of faith. But now he's in Herod's palace prison. Somewhere now south of the Dead Sea, south of Jerusalem, or at least east of the Dead Sea, south of Jerusalem, south of the Jordan River, out in the middle of nowhere, being made a mockery of. Times like this will come. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 says that anyone, how many of you fit into that pronoun there? Anyone? Any of us? Oh yeah, we're all part of anyone. Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. It's not a matter of if, but when. You will suffer persecution if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. It's going to come. Last week, we had a deacon ordination. You realize the first martyr... <laughs> yeah, I was like, you didn't tell me this. No. The first martyr in Scripture was a deacon, Stephen who was commissioned as a deacon in Acts chapter 6 to network the care ministry there in the local church, but he was also a man full of faith, filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he had opportunity for the gospel, he proclaimed that gospel, even though it cut the religious Jews to the heart, and they stoned him to death. David, when we think of royalty, we think of King David, one of the greatest kings who ever lived. Struggled, as you read the Psalms, you can see again and again, he struggled with depression. He cried out, God, where are you? Again and again in the Psalms. He said, why is my soul so downcast? Went through difficult seasons where people pursued his life in his youth as well as in his old age. The Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known, was beaten, stoned, politically attacked, Mocked in prison, shipwrecked. He faced trials from within, trials from without. So what will we do 
when we go through a season like this, when we find ourselves with those questions and with those doubts, when, when the heat is turned up. See, it's not a matter of whether or not that's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's a matter of how we're going to respond. Are we going to send a word of concern to Christ and try to get to know Him better and see how He is at work? Or are we going to let our hearts become hard and back off from the kingdom agenda? We can be like, we can kind of be like an egg that's thrown into hot water, boiling water, that, that becomes hard boiled, or we can become like a potato that kind of starts hard, and when it's thrown into the hot water, what does it do? It softens up. You know, you can put the butter and the salt and the cheese and everything else on it, right? Is, is our heart going to harden or is it going to soften? It's been said the same sun that hardens clay melts wax. And, and so God has given us an opportunity to respond. And, and so what John the Baptist does here is he sends for a word. He's got to know, I've got to hear from Jesus. And it's in those moments of our lives that we want to hear from Jesus. We've been bold to proclaim and do what He's called us to proclaim and do. We've been bold to serve when He's called us to serve. But now we're going through a difficult season in life. Now the heat's being turned up and we need to stop and listen to what Jesus has to say to us. Winston Churchill said that courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. But he goes on to say courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. And when we go through these seasons of life, sometimes we need to say, Lord, I need a word from you. And God is saying, be still and know that I'm God. I've got something to say. I don't want you to hear this. So John is ready and needy for a word from the Messiah, and he sends for that word. Are you at a testing season in life? Where's the test coming from? Is it an internal test where you're saying, I, I, I don't understand something within me is causing doubts and fears and frustrations, depression, discouragement? Is it external? Say, the things I'm having to deal with in my home, the relationships, my marriage, my kids, my parents. Is it an external relationship in the workplace where if you take a stand for Christ, you're going to suffer persecution for that stand for Christ? It's not only the former fire chief of the city of Atlanta, it's in workplaces all over our world today. There are people that live in nations where if they proclaim out loud that they're a Christian, then they can be labeled an infidel and their life can be taken from them. Is it in your school? So, you know, I, I, if I take a stand for Christ in my school, I really don't think that they're going to behead me. I, I don't think that they're going to stone me to death. But some of you are thinking, you know what, I'd rather be stoned sometimes and be laughed at and made fun of. And if you take a stand for Christ and try to live a righteous life, to the glory of God, you will be laughed at, you will be made fun of. And sometimes that mockery, we may say, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, and that's not true, because that mockery hurts, breaks our heart. Is it your witness? Are you trying to be a witness for Christ in your suffering persecution? It's okay to send for a word of affirmation from Jesus. It's okay to, to express your word of concern and say, Lord, I need some reassurance because I don't understand what I'm going through here. That's where John the Baptist was. I always have a problem with the pastor who, who stands and arrogantly says, if you have truly experienced 
salvation. If you're truly experiencing sanctification, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, then you will never have any doubts whatsoever because I believe John the Baptist, spirit-filled from the mother's womb, was struggling with some doubts here. Are, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? Lord, I've got to be sure. Now, he went to the right person. He sent his disciples to the right person, but he experienced it. So you won't hear me at any altar call say, listen, if you're 99% sure you're saved, then you're 100% lost. No, I will pray with you. We'll work through that. His Spirit should bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But believers, if you are a believer, then there is an enemy called the accuser of the brethren. The devil's going to attack you and try to get you to doubt everything in the Word of God. So what do we do? We we send for a word. Jesus, I've got to know. I've got to know. I've got to have a word from you. Secondly, we see that word come. And this is the first word from Christ. The second word in the text, but it's a word of confirmation about the power of God. A word of confirmation that John the Baptist needed about what Jesus was continuing to do. Jesus replied in verse 4, Go and report to John what you hear and see. And then he described what Jesus had been doing. The blind see, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. Jesus was fulfilling Isaiah's prophecies that John would have been very familiar with. In chapters 8 and 9, we see a concentration of those miracles coming together. The first part of that text we just read. And we see in chapters 5 through 7, the good news being preached, the gospel of the kingdom, and that great sermon on the mount. We see a a concentration of Jesus' preaching and teaching ministry. And so he says, listen, this is what's going on. You go tell John the Baptist that the kingdom is advancing, good things are happening, the Messiah's work is being done, and it's being done through me. What's the point? Well, in good times and in bad times, the power of God is being displayed if we'll just have eyes to see it. In good times and in bad times. When everything's going great and when nothing seems to be going great and our world seems to be falling apart, God is displaying His power if we will just have the eyes to see it. There will be different experiences in our lives. One of the the most wonderful opportunities I had to preach was standing at Mount Carmel. I was over there with Tina and I went with a, a large group of pastors and and when they came to each one of us and said, well, you preach here, you teach here, you do the devotion here, my opportunity was going to be at Mount Carmel. And that was an exciting place because that's where Elijah called down fire. And there are those seasons of life where you seem to have Mount Carmel experiences where the heavens open up and the fire falls and you see God at work and you're like, praise the Lord, God's working, this is awesome. I've never experienced anything like this before. Thank you, Jesus, you're so real, you're so wonderful. I just feel your blessings, I sense your presence. This is awesome. But there are other seasons in life. Even in the life of someone like the Apostle Paul that we mentioned a moment ago that experienced so much, where he prayed because he had a thorn in the flesh. And we're not told what the thorn is, and I think that's probably part of God's plan for us to be able to apply it to so many thorns we might experience. But Paul prayed, Lord, remove the thorn. Now, if Elijah called down fire... Surely the Apostle Paul can pray to have a thorn removed and it be removed. He prayed to have the thorn removed. God didn't remove it. He prayed again. God didn't remove it. He prayed again. 
He said, listen, I earnestly prayed, whether it was three seasons of prayer or three specific prayers. Paul spent time praying, and God said, listen, Paul, I've got something to tell you. I'm not going to remove that thorn. You're going to go through this difficult season of life, even if it's for your entire life, because I'm trying to tell you something. That my grace is sufficient for you. Because my power is going to be manifest. It's going to be perfected in your weakness. And when you're going through that difficult season of life and and you're saying, God, why am I here? Why am I in this place? It's because God wants you to open your eyes to see and to hear what He is doing and He will display His power in the good times and in the bad times. Either way, if we listen for God's confirmation, He'll display it in the most surprising ways. It's a noted atheist. Actually, I heard his name again last night watching uh, the movie God's Not Dead with our uh, sunlighters by the name of Richard Dawkins. He loves to persecute Christians. He loves, as a matter of fact, he loves to stand and tell Christians that they're idiots. He says publicly Christians should be mocked and they should be ridiculed publicly. He stood on the mall in Washington with a lot of secular humanists who had gathered there, and in his British accent, he proclaimed, ridicule Christians and do it publicly. Well, Ravi Zacharias found a recording of his radio interview in England, Richard Dawkins did years ago. And he's mocking Christians. And by the way, he usually, I had a friend just even this past week who put a video, and he's one of my atheist buddies, needs to know the Lord, but he put a video of Richard Dawkins on Facebook mocking Christians. And he picks out Christians with weak arguments to kind of attack, but he's mocking Christians and their inability to communicate and other things like that. And so he's on a radio show and he's saying all this about my Christians. He says, most Christians don't even know anything. They're all stupid. He's putting all Christians down. And he said, I ask Christians all the time, can you, just, can you even name the authors of the four Gospels? And they can't even do it. Christians don't even know what they believe. Well, I have to agree with that. On many occasions, Christians don't even know what they believe. But he's mocking Christians for what he's calling their ignorance. And so the radio host, the one who was interviewing, says, um, Mr. Dawkins, can you name for me the complete title of Darwin's Origin of the Species? Caught him off guard. He was saying Christians didn't even know their own Bible. Christians don't even know their own stuff. And he goes, yeah, uh, the complete title. Yeah, I know Origin of the Species is not the entire title. Uh, but it's really Origin of the Species, and he's, he's trying to remember the entire title. And, and he's thinking, he's, like, he's kind of embarrassed by this. I don't even know the complete title. And I'm the number one proponent of Darwinism in the world. And he's trying to, he's like, it's origin of the species. And, and oh my God. Um, and as soon as he said that, of course, Robbie Zacharias pointed out, God has demonstrated his power and his sovereignty by taking someone who mocks Christians, who persecutes Christians, who says it's a stupid thing to pray. And the first thing you did when you got to a place where you couldn't remember something and you were a little bit embarrassed, you cried out to God. Oh my God, I can't, can't remember. So that, that proves what an awesome, wonderful, sovereign God that He would bring you to a place to do something like that publicly. 
word of confirmation, if we'll just open our eyes, even in and around those who are bringing the persecution, we'll find confirmation of God's power being displayed. Jesus, by the way, doesn't rebuke John. He answers his concerns. I believe if you ask for confirmation, if you ask for ears to hear and eyes to see, Jesus will give you that confirmation. And then in verse 6, He says, if anyone is not offended because of Me, he is blessed. The word offended there has to do, in the Greek it's the word of scandalon. It's, it's if you don't think it's scandalous to be named with Jesus, then you're going to experience the blessing of God. If you're not ashamed of Christ, He will not be ashamed of you and He will make Himself known. So this word of confirmation about the power of God is going to come back to John and as the disciples are taking this word back to John, Jesus goes back to addressing the crowd that was already listening to Him at that moment and He gives us this third word in the text, the word of commendation for the program of God. It's the well done of God on John's life for everybody else to hear it Beginning in verse 7 here, Jesus he's explaining that John's situation illustrates the fact that there is spiritual warfare in the world, and it authenticates the truth that the kingdom of God is still advancing. And one way we know the kingdom of God is advances is because it's under attack. That's why so much persecution is taking place, is because God's kingdom is advancing. So in verse 7, these men went away. Jesus began to speak to the crowds again. Why did you... Go out in the wilderness to see? Just go see a reed swaying in the wind? Was this just some fickle brickyard preacher? You know, the kind that stand on college campuses and tell everybody that they're going to hell. Tell everybody, how many of them may be, but they're, they're the ones that aren't trying to demonstrate any kind of love or grace or communicate the gospel in any way. They're just kind of out there shouting and, and putting everybody down, just kind of fickle, just kind of swayed by the wind. Is that what you went to see? No, that's, that's not what they went to see. Did you go out, verse 8, see a man dressed in soft clothes, nice clothing? Look, those who wear soft clothes are in king's palaces. No, that's not what you went to see. You weren't attracted, what he's saying, you weren't attracted by some health, wealth, gospel, or perfect picture of this world's royalty. You didn't go out there because He promised you everything was going to be great in life. That's not what John the Baptist was all about. It was the gospel of the kingdom. It goes on in verse 11. As I assure you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he Word of commendation for those who faithfully serve Christ. John didn't suffer poverty and persecution because of failure in his own life. We see that in, in verses 13 through 15. All, all the prophets and, and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Just as the prophet said that one would go forth in the spirit of Elijah before Jesus came on the scene. Jesus said, that's who John the Baptist is. That's what he's all about. And anyone with ears should listen to what the Spirit is saying through him. 
So if you're under attack from the enemy, according to verse 12, it may be a good sign that you're with the program. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. Now there is some word arrangement in the original text here that makes it kind of hard to understand what he's saying. But, but you can ultimately summarize it, no matter which translation you're using this morning, that the kingdom of God is advancing, and because it's advancing, it will be under attack. The gospel is going forth. People will be confronted with the person of Jesus Christ, and because the gospel is advancing and spiritual warfare is real, the enemy is going to come against it, and it's going to come against, even the devil himself, against everyone who stands for Christ. So we see this word of commendation that, hey, John, you're doing the right thing. That's why you're suffering. (laughs) What you're suffering? You're doing the right thing. You can withstand this. And he will withstand this. uh, Georgia Tech has done a study on mosquitoes because they don't have a lot of time on their hands. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they've done a study on mosquitoes because mosquitoes are more prevalent where there are heavy rains. And, and so someone with a lot of time on their hands, I guess, decided they needed to figure out why mosquitoes are able to withstand heavy rains when other insects might would go and hide somewhere. And these mosquitoes get bounced around in heavy rains and they just continue to thrive, those Perhaps can't find shade, but the rain doesn't kill the mosquito because of the fact that God gave them this exoskeleton that can survive it and not only take it, but when there's been an area that's experienced a lot of rains, a lot of tropical rains, a lot of heavy rains, even though each raindrop can be 50 times the weight of the mosquito, the mosquitoes survive and thrive because of the way God has made them. Interestingly, the church seems to stand and thrive when it's under attack. When the church is not under attack, when believers are not under attack, we we, we seem to just kind of get caught up in the things of this world. But when there's a fight going on, when, when people are attacking and fighting and trying to bring us down, that we kind of roll up our sleeves and go to battle. And so God may be allowing the United States to to experience attack God may be allowing the church to be persecuted so that we will say, you know what, it's time for us to roll up our sleeves. It's time for us to get on our face and pray and put on the spiritual armor, God's exoskeleton that's going to protect us. You may be in one of those seasons where God is reminding you. Paige Patterson used to say that Baptists were kind of like alley cats. You might hear them out there fighting all night. But that means in the morning there's going to be more of them. (laughs) Sometimes when we're under attack, it's like that. We realize we've got to take serious the words of confirmation from Christ so we might receive a word of commendation. Paul told the church of Philippi, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. told the church at Rome, We know that God is working all things together for the good of them that love God and are called according to His purpose. 
They say, well, I, I, I don't like this breakup that I'm going through. I, I didn't ask for these marriage problems and I had hoped for different results in the workplace. Consider these words, and I want to close with this out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels or clay pots so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. When we're going through seasons of persecution, when the going gets tough, that's the time that we become more like Jesus Christ who went to a cross, died for our sins, rose from the grave so that we might have life and life everlasting. And He's saying to each one of us, it's time for us to daily take up our cross and follow Him. And when we go through these seasons, we're not abandoned. He is walking with us. His Spirit is living in us and producing something beautiful through us. What season of life are you in? Would you bow your heads with me?